Acts chapter 18. Let's pray. Jesus, have your way this morning. This is your word. It's what you've spoken, and as a church, we just want to submit to it. Speak and lead us. Holy Spirit, teach us. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Acts chapter 18 comes after Acts chapter 17. That's why we're in it. We're going to be in verses 1 through 16 today. Sorry, 1 through 17. The first part, as it usually is, will take a long time, and then we'll go pretty quick through the rest. But Paul departed from Athens, and now he's in Corinth. You want to throw that map up there, uh, Jessica? And then you guys can see what that looks like. You see on the left-hand side, Athens, and just a wee bit of a jog over, you've got Corinth. You probably can't tell super well, but there's this thing called an isthmus, and it's a little bitty piece of land that connects two larger pieces of land. And it's, that's going to come into play. We'll get to it in a second. But you can get an idea and a feel where Corinth is, you know, Greece area, modern day. Paul goes there during a very specific time, which we'll get to. There's a lot of fun history to it. Athens, that's where he's coming from. Well, what's significant about Athens? You might remember it is kind of that classic place of civility and culture where people were civilized and they had these civilized discussions and it was, you know, kind of that highbrow place. I'm only painting the picture because there's going to be a contrast in a moment, but it carries with it a meaning. I grew up in Crawfordsville. You guys know that Crawfordsville is the Athens of Indiana. It's what, that's, uh, I don't know if it's self-proclaimed. I don't know if somebody else said that. It's hilarious you're laughing. I'm actually offended that you're laughing. Okay? Come on. <laughs> All right, yeah, you're from there. Anyway, it means something, right? There's a reason why they would call themselves. I think somebody wrote a book from Crawfordsville, and so they're like, we're the Athens of Indiana, you know? I've been her. It's a pretty big book, a pretty, like, well-known book. But anyway, Athens of Indiana, it means something. It means, like, we're cultured and we write books and things like that. And so that's Athens. He leaves Athens and he goes to Corinth, okay? It's a very different thing. This is just from studying. You guys research. You can type in, for example, first century Corinth into like a Google search and you can get all kinds of really fun information about what Corinth was like in the first century. The reason why it matters is because Paul's going there to preach the gospel. He leaves Athens. No one's forcing him to leave. It's an unusual way of him, for him leaving. Usually he's getting kicked out of places. But Paul leaves Athens, and I think it was for a very specific purpose, which we'll get to. Corinth. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> hey, throw that like column picture on there if you want to, please. This is a picture of what remains of a massive temple that was dedicated to Apollos. And they would hire from conquered lands, different places, about a thousand prostitutes. And a form of worship was going and chatting with a prostitute, okay? And that was how they worshiped. And so I want you to envision, what you're trying to do is think about what is this place like that Corinth was? We got an idea of Athens. What's Athens, Greece like? Go to Crawfordsville and just get a feel for it, okay? <laughs> and get a feel for what that was like. What was Corinth like? Is, as it's been described, I have not been to Corinth and I haven't lived in the first century, just so you know, but I do research and read. And so they would equip Basically, Corinth was like modern-day Las Vegas in terms of its lewdness and where you would go to just party and do your thing. Again, I, I bring up the 1,000 temple prostitutes because that can probably help you understand the kind of morality that was going on there and that it was jacked up. 
In fact, Paul in Titus, he's writing to the guy named Titus who ministered in Crete. And he would talk about how people would uh, use the idea of Cretan. You might have heard it actually. Plankton on SpongeBob calls people Cretan. You Cretan. Anyway, it's a derogatory term that meant you were like a liar. And you're a dishonest, awful person. If you're a Cretan, Corinth had a very similar thing. If you, were, if you had been Corinthianized, it meant that all of your morals had been taken away. You went to Corinth to live how the flesh desired to. And no one's going to say anything to you. In fact, that's how we worship. You can go home and say, I was just worshiping God. And, but it's like you're destroying your life. And they lived in it. They celebrated the destruction of something so beautiful that God has given us, like marriage, and he destroyed it. You can just imagine what the society, society was like. It's not much different than today, you guys. Messed up. Go party. Whatever happens in Corinth stays in Corinth, you know, type of thing. And that's how it was. That's where Paul went. There is a religious group there, as we'll find out. Let's look at verse 2. Paul found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded that the Jews depart from Rome, and so he came to them. There were things going on, we'll get to it in a second, but the fact that Paul met a dude named Aquila is incredible. It's like God had meant for this to happen. And there's a reason why Aquila and Priscilla are going to be, they're going to partner up with Paul. And they're going to be used in a really powerful way. My hope for you guys is this, <clears throat> that as you watch this whole thing unfold, that you get really encouraged in the areas that you work, like your occupation. And I'm hoping that your occupation becomes something that you see as holy and ordained by God, and that you're there for a very specific reason, and it's to share the gospel and to make money. But the main reason is to share the gospel, okay? I really hope you see it this way, and I want to encourage you by what we see here. Paul finds Aquila, and there was something about them that caused them to immediately connect. Now, I think that it's very possible. I don't know you guys, but I think it's possible that Aquila and Priscilla were... We don't ever read about them coming to faith in Christ, I think because they already were. And there's a reason why. I'll get to it in a moment. Verse 2, and then look at verse 3. And so, because he was of the same trade, Paul was the same trade, he stayed with them, and he worked. For by occupation, they were tent makers. All right, throw up that next picture of this really cool tent. This is a tent, <laughs> but it's a really special tent. Paul was from Tarsus. Tarsus was a city in Cilicia. Cilicia was known for what was called Cilicium. What's Cilicium? All right, Cilicium is a rough cloth of goat hair that was used to make tents. Paul was a tent maker. That's what his dad did, very likely. His dad was a tent maker. And so growing up in Tarsus, in Cilicia, they still have these goats to this very day. They have these long-haired goats, and they sh shear them. Shear, thank you. <laughs> I got all kinds of help. They shear the goats, and then they weave these... Cloth. Now, here's what's cool about this. Let's say you're going on a paddling trip with a really awesome group of guys, just for example, okay? 
and you've got your supplies and you've got your tin or your hammock and your rain fly. There's a big difference between like taking a massive leather rain fly. It'll work, won't it? A leather would keep you protected, but it weighs like a million pounds. Or you can take your nice nylon tarp and you can get all set up. This is kind of the nylon tarp of camping back in the day. It's this woven cloth. It expelled water or repelled water. So all these different things. Lycia was known for producing tents like this. Paul grew up in it. It's a big deal, just so you know. They're in Corinth. But they're in Corinth during a very specific time. And I want to encourage you that it's okay to like be smart when it comes to the gospel. It's okay to, have, like, to know what you're doing and to be strategic in what you're doing. To consider, are there gonna be a, is there going to be a large group of people somewhere? Maybe we can go there and minister to them and serve them. Okay, so he leaves Athens, right? And he goes to Corinth. And there are these people making tents. Why are there people making tents in Corinth? Well, let me tell you why. Because there were these things called the Ithmus games. And it was games, like Olympic games, but they were huge. They weren't as big as the Olympic games, but they were huge. And the whole countryside would come and watch them. The athletes would compete in foot races, like what we see today, wrestling, boxing, throwing the discus and the javelin, long jump. And imagine this, if we could see it today, chariot racing. Wouldn't that be fun if they brought back chariot racing? I would watch that, just so that you know. They also, for those of you who might not enjoy like punching or being punched in the face or having your arm broken while wrestling, or maybe you like to sit on the couch and not run, they would have competitive poetry readings. Isn't that cool? And if you didn't, if you didn't want to compete in poetry, you could compete in singing. So the Ithmus Games had competitive poetry reading and also singing. And also, I think, was the only place, at least I found this was one, one place I had read, where women competed. And you didn't see that, like, in the Olympic Games. But women competed at the Ithmus Games and foot races and so on. So pretty cool. This is what's happening right now. In fact, they were able to target when Paul was there down to... 51 AD, and in the spring of 51 AD, that's when these games would be held. And so this is when Paul's there. They're making tents, and here's why. The Ithmus games were held in a rural part of Corinth where there was no housing. It's not like you could get a, a hotel there in Corinth and then, you know, commute or Uber to the place. You couldn't do that. You had to find your own accommodations. And so guess what? you would have people there who would go to Corinth to then make tents for people to buy and then go out to the countryside. They'll set up their tent and then they'll go to the games while they're watching. That's exactly what Paul's doing. There's strategy in that, isn't there? I got to leave Athens because I heard the Ithmus games are happening and I can make tents. And he just so happens to run into a group of people, Aquila and Priscilla, who also make tents. And he's like, hey, I can help. I grew up in Cilicia. They're like, oh, you're a Cilician tent maker? Yeah. Can you help us? Because you got some special skills. We can get some goat hair, do your thing, make some tents. We can make a lot of money and be good, right? And eat food. And so here they are. There, there were no permanent accommodations. And so Paul was able, listen, you guys, to use the God-given gifts and talents that he had for the gospel, to make some money too, but here we're going to find out it's very specific. And he's able to connect with people in a specific way because they shared the same occupation, like the people you hang out with where you work, or the people that you inter interact with when you work. It's for a specific purpose, you guys. Know that. I'm asking you to like consider it and to maybe even believe 
that God has you where you're at for a reason and that he wants you to connect with people and be able to share the gospel and do gospel work together. Okay, Aquila and Priscilla, possibly. There are four different historical sources that deal with the time Claudius kicked the Jews out of Rome or Italy. And in one of the accounts, at least, there's a mention that they, that Claudius kicked out specifically the Jews, all of the Jews who were causing problems concerning this person named, which you would translate Christ. The thought goes like this. These, okay, earlier on in, in the history of Christianity, you've got the Jews. And earlier on, the church was all Jewish, primarily, until Paul started doing his work. But this, at this point in time, the church was primarily Jewish. And the, the Roman government didn't go into the nuance of the Jewish faith like, oh, these are Christians, so they're a new sect. They hadn't gotten there yet. Christians were just Jewish people who happened to believe in something a little bit different than what normal Jewish people believed in. And so Christians were seen as Jews until later on in the first century, where the the split became much more uh, pronounced. Claudius then kicks out the Jewish Christians that were causing some trouble. They were, if you remember, like all of the persecution that takes place in the book of Acts up till now, and even continue on except one instance, every single instance of persecution is instigated by or caused directly by Jewish people. The Jews, the Hebrews there, they just had a hard time with Jesus being the Messiah, right? They had a hard time with it. And so there was just this difficulty that was going on. Anyway, Paul's reasoning where he goes and he's sharing the gospel, the, the Jews get upset, riots happen, and then things go like this. Well, eventually Claudius is like, get out. if you're causing trouble, you're out of here. Well, guess who's causing trouble? Potentially Aquila and Priscilla. So here's the thing. We're just trying to get an idea on who these people were and where they are. Where are they? They're in Corinth. So imagine what Corinth is like. Paul finds this dude who's a tent maker and his wife, and there may be some like crazy Christians who are like stirring a boat, rocking a boat a little bit, getting kicked out of places because they love Jesus and they're proclaiming that Jesus is the Messiah. And so they meet, and you can see this really like, oh, God knows what He's doing, doesn't He? just so happens to meet him and you just love seeing things in scripture where like your work and the way and the conversation of your life, if you allow God to lead and move you, like it is powerful. It's fun to walk with the Lord. Aquila and Priscilla, travel companions of Paul. They'll be like this in Acts chapter 18. They ministered in Ephesus and had a a big impact there. They discipled a guy named Apollos, who's going to have a huge influence in ministry, actually in Corinth. He was in Ephesus when they found him. We'll get to that next week. They went back to Rome because they're probably crazy, and they want to follow Jesus, and they don't care if Claudius says, get out of Rome. In fact, it's possible that Claudius had died by that point in time, so they're like, we're going back home to Rome. Paul mentions them in his letter to the Romans, which was likely written in Corinth, He writes to the Romans and he says, hey, greet Aquila and Priscilla on his third missionary journey, which we'll get to next week. And guess what? Aquila and Priscilla were faithful. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 19, one of the very last things Paul ever writes, he says, greet Aquila and Priscilla. They're at the very end, probably 15 or so, 20 years later, they're still going hard for the king. They're following Jesus. And here's what's cool is they're doing it as a married couple. Isn't that fun? I hope that encourages you in here who, have, who are married, who have that relationship, like husband, wife, we're in it together. 
We do this together. You guys get to do this ministry together. Following Christ, doing these, it's something you do together. Know that we see that example in Aquila and Priscilla. They're willing to get in trouble. They're willing to get kicked out of a country for the sake of Christ. And so let that be an encouragement for you. You get to do this together. Now, what are they doing? Okay, as he reasoned in the synagogue, this is verse 4. He reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. Well, guess what? We've been here before. We've been talking through the idea or concept of gospel rhythms. What is your life like on a daily basis as far as it relates to the kingdom of God and following after Jesus? So we're considering this. We've been on it a lot. You guys were in the book of Acts. We just simply cannot help it. It's where the Lord has us. And it's my hope and prayer that it's being sown in deep to your hearts. And like it's a good soil, right? We want to see this good soil. It's being sown into my own heart that God would use us. We're praying that he would make us ready for the hard that's to come. And we're also asking him to make us ready for the harvest that's to come. And part of that means, like I'm, we're walking through the book of Acts and I believe he's preparing us to do what's here in the book of Acts. Use us like this, okay? So we're learning. This word reasoned is the exact same word we've dealt with the whole time where I'm dialoguing and I'm going and mixing thought with thought, mingling that, pondering, revolving in your mind, but also sharing it with a person. Here's a thought that I have about the Messiah. Would you, have you considered that? Or here's, have you ever thought about Jesus? Or do you believe that there's a God? Like, how can we have this? And so, so all these different things. Just talking with people, simple stuff. There's nothing magic or crazy about it. We're just engaging human beings for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of the kingdom. We're talking with people. And notice that the frequency is every Sabbath. There's a rhythm involved in that. But then you see, you see this new word that we'll deal with today is persuaded. So he reasoned, and then he persuaded. Well, what's, the, what's going on here? This idea of persuasion, check it out. I think it's important. And this might help you navigate the conversations that you have in your workplace and in your community and the different areas you're in. Persuading, okay? Some of you might not have the gift of evangelism. It is a gift that God gives. And there are people in our church that God has gifted with evangelism. He blesses this work. But all of us, you guys, are called to do the work of an evangelist. And as the Lord leads us and as he moves on our spirit, we have the incredible privilege of being able to share life and truth, the gospel, with people. Jesus came and he died. He rose again the third day and my sin has been taken care of. If you would just believe on him, you would be saved. We get to share that with people. That's like not just something you can do every once in a while. It's what we do as Christians. That is your calling to know him and to make him known. We get to do this, but here's what's up. This idea of reasoning and persuasion is something everyone can do. All of you. You need no special gifting for this. It helps, believe me. We pray for that. And we'll be praying that God would pour out a spirit and give us those gifts. Lord, please. You just need to be a human being filled with the spirit. That's all. If you're born again, you can reason and persuade. Check it out. Here's what the word means. To induce one by words to believe, to make friends with. And so you're just having a nice conversation with somebody. You're just talking to them. Are there times where the gospel becomes offensive and it's just like you're putting your stake in the ground and that's what's up? Of course. Those might be rare occasions, but depending on your giftings and what God has called you to, that might be a lot. But for the vast majority of you, this is like just you hanging out with your friends and talking to them. 
that they know what you're about and you're considering, you're, you're trying to persuade them. It means to win one's favor. And so he's persuading. He's just talking. It's, I, I, I really think it's a simple thing. It's not complicated. I'm trying to gain their goodwill. I'm seeking to win them, though. There is that part of the word. I'm striving to please them. Uh, the word can be used, it can be translated to tranquilize, to diffuse maybe, you know, that you walk into a situation and you bring peace because you're a follower of Christ. Remember, you're a peacemaker. Blessed are the peacemakers. And then to persuade. So that's what we're doing. We're walking in that. Just consider how this looks in your life. Paul's been doing this, building bridges that can hold the weight of the gospel and the weight of the truth. He's ministering. He's just talking. You guys know this. He has discernment on what to share, when to share it, and how to share it. He's just hanging out. Lord, what do you mean to do? He goes and he talks. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to um, kick it over to a, like a two and a half minute video. And I'm going to set it up like this. It's William Lane Craig, who's like a genius Jesus follower. And then you've got Ben Shapiro, who's like a genius Jew, right? He's a, he doesn't follow Jesus, does not believe Jesus is Messiah. What I want to do is I want you guys to kind of watch a modern day example of what it means to reason with somebody and mixing thought with thought and considering, well, have you thought about this though? Well, well no, because of this. Oh man, well, I can address that. Check this out. Now they're going to do it. We're going to watch on a level that is beyond my comprehension. They're, I mean, they're literal geniuses. Their understanding is like, melts my mind. This is a video clip I've watched and watched because it's just really good. The whole thing can be on there. If you want to find it, it's William Lane Craig, Ben Shapiro. If you were to type that into YouTube, you'd find it and you can watch. It's about an hour long during his Sunday special. But I want you to see how there, there's an attempt to establish who the Messiah was and that Jesus fulfills that, and that we should believe him. And so you'll see this mixing of ideas. So we'll, we'll let that play, and then I'll come back up afterwards, okay? The, the real gap here is that in the Gospels, Jesus' vision of himself as the Messiah is completely different from the prior vision of what the Jewish Messiah is, and is actually outside the scope of how Jews describe the Messiah or really have ever described the Messiah. The Messiah in Judaism has always been a political figure who is destined to do certain things, restoring the kingdom of Israel, re maintaining control of that kingdom, bringing more Jews back to Israel. All of these things are considered sort of political things that the Messiah does. But the idea of the Messiah as embodiment of God is something that's foreign to Jewish religious philosophy going all the way back to the beginning. So even the idea that the Sanhedrin would be questioning him in those terms and would get from that, that what he means is, I am God, which would be a much more punishable offense, presumably that'd be actual blasphemy. That's, it's, it's an oddity. I think you're absolutely right in saying that Jesus' understanding of the Messiah was radically different from the prevailing cultural understanding of the Messiah among the chief priests and the common people. And he didn't meet their expectations. Indeed, that's what helped to get him crucified. Being the Messiah, you're right, in and of itself isn't a blasphemous claim. But to claim to be the Son of God in a unique sense, and then especially the Son of Man prophesied by Daniel, sitting at the right hand of the power, that is truly blasphemous and is sufficient for his condemnation. Now the question, I think, that is raised by your Interpretation, question, yes. Yeah, your interpretation, mm -hmm. Ben, is this. 
Why should we believe Jesus' reinterpretation of the Messiah rather than the one that the chief priests and the people held? And I think the answer to that is his resurrection from the dead. Jesus' resurrection from the dead is Yahweh's public and unequivocal vindication of the man whom the chief priests had rejected as a blasphemer. It is the divine demonstration that these allegedly blasphemous claims are in fact true, that he was who he claimed to be, and that therefore I follow Jesus in his conception of what it means to be the Messiah. So when it comes to so good? Wow. Okay, so William Link Craig, Ben Shapiro, if you guys want to watch it, it's an hour long. It's so good. They go on to talk about how important the resurrection is. Well, how do you know that Jesus rose from the dead when William Link Craig like blows it away? He's so good. Anyway, what you saw there was what I think Paul's doing, reasoning. He's going in the synagogues, talking with Jews and just explaining. They're like, no, 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 the Messiah was going to come as a political, he's going to conquer Rome. And, and then Paul's like, oh, no, no, let me share with you some scripture. Like, I think that he maybe came uh, to suffer and then would rise again. Remember, he did this back in Athens and the other places. He's talking through, just dialoguing. They're just chatting it up, aren't they? Having a fun conversation. Now, does this require maybe you, some, you do some study and be in the word? Well, guess what? That's why we teach God's word. We're in it right here. Hopefully you can take even a Bible study like today and go do something with it, right? And so the hope is we see this and we are inspired. Lord, would you use us? People are cool with religious talk. People will talk about things like that. Uh, now, um, people are seeking. You guys believe that? Oh, wait, people are seeking. They're lost. We live in a world where they're broken and people are hurt. They are seeking for truth. But when Jesus gets brought up, it gets a little dicey. People are okay with a God who will answer prayer. They're okay with a God who will love them. But when it comes and the fact that I must bend my knee and submit to the King of Kings, it's a little bit different there. It's still the truth, and it still has to be proclaimed. Every knee is going to bow. Is it hard is there still sin? Do people have to be confronted with the fact that they have sinned and rebelled against the holy God? Amen. It's the most loving thing you could do to share that. But then we had a sweet thing where, but he died for that rebellion. I, I no longer am guilty. He sees me as righteous and justified. I don't have to live under condemnation any longer, you guys. I've been set free. Jesus has forgiven me. I'm good. That's a message we get to take to the world, it, like set free. Not only set free, you guys, but I've been filled with the Spirit, and you have been filled with the Spirit. Like life doesn't have to be meaningless and purposeless anymore. Like I, like we get to, you get to go to work tomorrow for Jesus. Like that's exciting, you guys. I hope you see it that way. And if you don't, then readjust it. Like ask the Lord to give you that perspective. That is why you exist. You get to share this with people. That was Paul's life, and Paul's not some unique figure in history that, well, yeah, Paul, no, no, this is for people who follow Jesus. What did he say? Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. I just want to encourage you. We're going to go through things. There's a lot more on this that we'll, we'll be, as a fellowship, just engaging with. We'd love to equip you. Maybe you don't feel like equipped. I, I promise you that you are. Like, if you are born again, 
you're ready to go, like go. Now, could there be some things? We, oh my gosh, of course. Yeah, you better believe it. But listen, don't wait. <laughs> like just, well, well, oh man, I should keep on teaching because I'll get to it. Look at verse five. Okay. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, do you guys remember Paul's like, he, I'm going to leave. You guys stay in Berea. I'm going to take off. He gets to Athens and he's like, hey, people who brought me to Athens, will you go back and tell Timothy and Silas to come meet me here? Okay, so that happens, and it's, it wasn't fast enough. I think that Paul heard, oh, the Isthmus games are happening in Corinth. I'm going down, to, I'm going down there. So he left Athens. He goes to Corinth. Well, S- Silas and Timothy join him, and then notice what it says. Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. Something about them coming, like, sparked something. I don't know what, there's a connection there somehow. I don't know what it is. What the word compelled means something very specific. I'll say this. It means to press in on every side. It's like this, that you know how you can live life and you're kind of just dilly-dallying about doing your thing, whatever it is. And all of a sudden you realize like, wait a second, I'm like called for a specific purpose. Like maybe this morning you're realizing I can't live my life however I want to live it. Jesus is king. I submit to him. All right, so perhaps you're, that's news to you and you've, you've come to terms like, okay, Jesus is king. I've yielded my life to him. That means this, that you've yielded your life to him, <laughs> that your life is yielded to him. When you yield, that means I just, whatever you say, whatever you want, you go, you have it, right? Okay, so just so we're clear, like I'm preaching to myself, okay? And uh, you realize, okay, my life is not my own. I've been bought with a price. So I should probably glorify God. That's a Bible verse, okay? All right, I should do that. So then you come to the conclusion, yes, I should do this. And no, no more can you go over this way or this way. It's like the walls are coming in. You're like, but I want to live this, I wanna, and I want to do this. And the Lord's like, oh, I got something way better than that. I've got something so much, it's eternal. Yeah, it's cool, it's fun, whatever it is, but I've got something eternal, and you're like, now you're like stuck. And Paul's like, I'm compelled. I just have to share Jesus, you know? He had to do this. And he, did, he couldn't go left or right. He couldn't talk about Psalm 22 anymore. He, he's like, it's Jesus, okay? Get the picture, guys. It's Jesus. And he had to do that. Here's the thing. In Athens, it said he was provoked. He looks at all the idols and he sees it and he's provoked to spirit. He's like, man, this isn't right. I got to say something. Well, here we see a similar thing happen. It's, it's different, but it is similar in that the Spirit of God compelled him. Okay, here's what's up. I do not believe that this is a feeling that he felt, okay? I absolutely agree and would believe that it was a sense or an unction that the Spirit gave him, but the reason I don't think it's a feeling is because not, it's not a feeling like I feel like eating today. It's easy for me to eat, I feel like giving my wife a hug because I love my wife and I want to hug my wife, you know? I don't feel like getting up in the morning and running. Well, it's okay, well then don't, you know what I mean? Like, then don't. Doing things because you like to do them or you feel like it is easy. <clears throat> Being compelled by the Spirit is this, I think, you guys. I think it's, it affords you the power. The power is there, it's the Spirit. But it gives you a place where you have to make a decision. It's like, you know, deep down, it's like, oh, I know I've got to say something. But you still have to take that step, right? You still have to take that uncomfortable step where I, I still have to steer a conversation this way or just pause like, hey, I have really been burdened by this. I've got to know, has anybody ever shared the gospel with you before? 
Yes or, you know, and yes or no. Or you share your 15-second testimony that we had gone through. You have a story like that? Whatever it might be, you know. But you're just moved. But there's still, and I think the difference between, like, it's, I don't believe that Paul was just like, I, I feel like sharing the gospel today. Like, this is going to be easy. I don't know if it was. Some people have that. They really do. But then there's this, like, I got to, I think it just comes down to a decision. I, me personally, I have to make a decision to just share with my neighbor. I could be compelled to it. Will I ever feel like it? No, I'll think, well, this is going to be awkward. Or what if he gets upset with me and it really ruins our relationship and, and you know, whatever, you know? No, no, just make the, it's obedience to what the Spirit's leading you. I want to encourage you guys with that. That's what we see Paul doing. Uh, it's possible that maybe the, like the church from Philippi gave Timothy and Silas money which they did, by the way, to give to Paul. And then he's like, hey, cool, I don't have to make tents anymore so I can really go full-time into this. And perhaps that was it. Don't know. I, it actually doesn't have to be that at all. It just might mean that the Spirit compelled him. Also, the encouragement of Timothy and Silas. And if I could encourage you guys with this, when you watch or observe or see a, another Christian living boldly, it encourages you to live boldly. And if I could say this, like you be the person that people see living boldly. You can be the catalyst in your workplace. You can be the catalyst in your neighborhood. You can be that for other Christians to rally around. Paul said it that one of his letters, I don't know if it was in Timothy maybe or it doesn't matter, but he, he basically says this, the other people, all the other believers, like they, they're emboldened by my chains. They're all the more bold because I'm like, I don't care if I go to prison, I'm preaching the gospel. And everybody else is like, well, then I will too, you know? But I'm like, you guys could be that. I want to be that. I want to live a life that others would be inspired to follow Christ. I want you guys to encourage you in that. Timothy and Silas show up, and Paul's like, what's up, guys? They're like, yeah, you know how it is. Let's go preach the gospel or whatever it is. And they just get excited about it. Again, I can't, I, it's hard to say it that way. I don't know if it's a feeling, you know, like, woo, you can get fired up and go or whatever, maybe. But at the end of the day, it's like, oh, wait, this is hard and awkward and difficult and uncomfortable. And eventually you have to take a step of faith and just obey. You will never regret obedience. You will never, ever regret obedience. Okay, slow down time. God can do that. Verse 6, when they opposed, this is going to go more, a little bit more quickly. But when they opposed him, that's the Jews opposed him. And actually the way it's written, I guess, could also mean that when they opposed themselves, like they just weren't making sense. They were contradicting each other. And when they opposed themselves, or, but ultimately they were opposing Paul in the word, they blasphemed. And here's an interesting word I want to share with you guys. I had to look it up. One of the definitions in the concordance for blasphemy was this word, cal, man, I want to do a better job. I've practiced, but it's calmate, C-A-L-U-M-N, so calumniate, calumniate, Okay. What does that mean? It means this. This is what the Jews were doing to Paul. They were charging falsely and knowingly with a crime or offense. They knew what they were saying was wrong and a lie, but they were saying it to try to ruin his reputation. As it goes on to say, to propagate evil reports with the design to injure the reputation of another. And we've talked about this, like get ready, Christians, it's going to happen, where people will calumniate us, they're going to ruin your reputation. They're going to try to make you look horrible, drag you through the mud because you're a bold follower of Christ. Just get ready for it. I promise you it's worth it. I'm still being preached to. I want to live this life. I want to walk like this. But that's what they're doing to Paul. They're trying to ruin his reputation so that no one will listen to him. But guess what? Jesus is more than that. He's bigger than all that, okay? Here's what happens in verse 7. He departed from there. That's the synagogue. 
I, if I could say it like this, I, I would say Paul is a dog, is what I would say right now. Listen to what's going on. And he entered the house of a certain man named Justice, or Titius Justice, and he's a Roman citizen, very likely, and wealthy, has a big house. Well, check out where his house is, right next to the synagogue, okay? The actual way it's being worded there, look it up in the Greek, is that Titus Justice's house literally shared a wall with the synagogue. So we're downtown Corinth, maybe, and here's the Jewish synagogue, and then right next door to the apartment or whatever, you know, it's like a strip mall, let's just say. Right next door, well, that's Justice's house, right? And Paul's like, I'm out of here. And he steps out, and he walks into this house, and he's like, yeah, let's go. He moved right next door. They're sharing a wall, okay? They're sharing a common wall. And Paul's like, I'm going over here. But this guy, Justice, is what we would call a person of peace. Somebody got us prepared, and then now here's Paul hanging out with them. And God's going to do a massive work. Check it out in verse 8. Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, oh my goodness, look, he believed on the Lord and all of his household. And many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. At this point in time, whatever was going on, you had the synagogue, and they were, remember they were telling, like, Paul's this, and he's that, and he does this, and he goes down there to the Apollo's thing, and he's with those prostitutes. We saw him. All these things, right? They're just blaspheming and saying all these horrible things about him. So Paul's like, I'm out of here. And he walks two feet over and he hangs out with justice, right? Now, yeah, what's up? Well, I'm on your guys' team now. So now they're hanging out and they're kind of going back and forth. But all of a sudden, Crispus works for the Lay's company. He's sitting here and he's like, I believe in Jesus. And so he goes over and he joins. Now you've got the church and the synagogue next to each other. Crispus used to be the leader of the synagogue and now he's over here in the church right next door. Okay, so just imagine that scene. I don't know what it would have been like. It's crazy. The dirty looks they were sharing or something, you know. Oh, my gosh. What would it have been like? It would have been like rejoicing. Christmas, we are so glad you're a part of this church, man. Praise the Lord. Okay, but check it out. This is big time. Person of peace. God has done this exciting work. Paul baptized them. We'll, we'll get into all this later. 1 Corinthians 1.14 talks about Paul baptizing them. Time is not slowing down. But look at verse uh, 9, because this is when Paul probably would have been like, oh, it's going to get bad. The Lord spoke to Paul in a night vision and said, do not be afraid, but speak and do not keep silent for I am with you and no one will attack you to hurt you for I have many people in this city. Why did he do this? Now, it's said in a, like the present tense, like Paul was actively afraid. So hold fast to that just for a second. Paul was afraid. What was he afraid of? Getting beaten. And rightfully so. This is about the time in life where everything kind of unravels. People get saved. It goes really good. Then, then, you know, uproar comes and he gets kicked out or he gets put in prison or people take sticks and beat him. This is about that time. But Jesus is like, Paul, don't worry about it. Do not be afraid. Speak. Do not be silent because I'm with you. Now, I think those words are as true today as they were then. And I want you guys to hold fast to them. What I can't say is no one will attack you or hurt you. That was like specific for right then and there. I believe the Lord has many people in this city. I really do. And I also believe that we're not supposed to be afraid. And I believe we're supposed to speak and not be silent because he's with us. That's today, you guys. That, that, that is for us today. And so in be encouraged by that. Paul was, Jesus so faithful to meet him there. Uh, I, I've got to share this. Because it's just so good, I think. He's afraid. Jesus is like, don't be afraid. And then look, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16, Paul's saying it. He said, at my first defense, no one stood with me. Everybody forsook me. 
but may it not be charged against them. Verse 17 says, but the Lord stood with me. Isn't that cool? And he strengthened me so the message might be preached fully through me and that the Gentiles might hear. Paul was in prison and he realizes everybody had forsaken him, but oh, guess who was with him? Jesus was. Just like he was with him in Corinth and the other places, he actually sees Jesus standing up with him and he strengthened him. We have that today, guys, I, I promise you. He is like this today. It's, I want you to then think of Acts chapter 7, the idea of Jesus standing. In Acts chapter 7, Paul is there. And there's the crowd there listening to Stephen preach the gospel and tell the Jews, like, y'all have blown it. You have killed the prince of life. And he says, they're getting ready to kill him. And he looks up and he says, oh my gosh, I see the son of man standing by the throne. And they all hear it. They stop their ears and then they all go and they kill Stephen. Well, guess who was there? Paul. Paul heard Stephen say, I see Jesus standing. Like G Paul, Stephen would have been like, the Lord stood with me. And here's Paul at the end of his life, the Lord stood with me. And here's Paul here in Corinth where Jesus is like, I'm with you, Paul. You guys, it's no different today. It allows us, it ought to allow us, listen, to walk boldly. Like I want to hear that, right? I want to be able to see that, to walk boldly. To be able to see, it's like he's with us, go. Okay, all right, and Matthew, he says, I'm with you always at the end of the age. Okay, we're about done, I promise you. 11 through 17. We're going to read it, and there's just a wee bit, and then we're done. I, I, but this is exciting, actually, because you never know what God's doing. I promise you never know. You guys, listen, I hope you understand that I am, like, convicted by these things. I personally want to live a life that is way more bold. Out in the world. You guys are out there. Again, I joke around. My, my bad day at work is when Wes wants to pray too long with me. <laughs> right? That's my bad day at work. You guys are out there in the midst of it. You're hard into it. You're front lines, people. And I want this to be an encouragement to you. I want to live boldly. We don't have time to waste. Time is short, man. Jesus is coming back. There's work to do. We get to do this. Galio, Right? Oh, no, sorry. He continued there six, a year and six months, and notice what he did. He was teaching the word of God among them. Why do we do it? Well, that's what they do, and so I just want to do what they did. So we teach the word, right? And then look at verse 12. And Gallio was a proconsul of Achaia. He's like the governor of a large region. The Jews with one accord rose up against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat, saying, this fellow persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. In Roman law, a person would, would bring an accusation against you. You then had a chance to defend yourself. Well, here, interestingly enough, you'll notice as Paul was about to open his mouth, because it's his turn now to defend himself, Gallio actually takes up his defense for Paul. He has this tremendous favor. Gallio really fast was brand new, probably at this post. He was a seasoned politician, but probably new to this position of a governor or whatever he was there in Achai. And my guess is the Jews were like, hey, the newbie's here. Let's see if we can get some traction with him. Anyway, Gallio didn't go for it. If it were a matter of wrongdoing or wicked crimes, Jews, I would have reason to bear with you. He's like, I would listen to you, but I have no desire to listen to you is what he's saying. But if it's a question of words and names in your own law, you look to it yourselves. I don't want to be a judge in such matter. I don't got time for you is what he's saying. And they drove them from the judgment seat. It's the Bema seat. And then all the Greeks took Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him before the judgment seat. That's the Bema seat. I wish we had time. We just don't. We need, to, we need like five hours every Sunday. 
but Gallio didn't even notice them. He just was like looking the other way. They're beating Sosthenes. It's an unfortunate event that took place. But here's what's cool is, do you remember Justice? And so the likelihood of Paul and Justice and the crew running into Sosthenes after such an event was pretty high. Again, like where they were and the strategy involved, like, oh, Lord, would you give us like a holy ability to make to be strategic? Oh, man. Okay, so then here's Sosthenes. It's possible. I'm not saying this is it. I'm not adding to Scripture. I just want you guys to consider a possible response the church could have had that goes in perfect step with the nature of Jesus and who he's called us to be, and that's to love people. Where Paul could have rolled up to the synagogue one day, Sosthenes in there, he's like, oh, and Paul could have just pulled up his shirt and been like, I'm with you, Sosthenes. Like, yeah, in Philippi, like, you guys were the ones who beat me. He's like, I've been there. I know what it's like, and I'm here with you. Can I help you? Remember the jailer bandaged their wounds up? Did Paul and Silas then go and bandage up Sosthenes? I'm dramatizing some things. I'm not saying that's what Scripture says, but I want you to have a picture in your mind of how the church responds to things like this. I don't want to celebrate the fact that my enemy got beat up. God doesn't even do that. But it afforded a possible opportunity to to love him and and to minister to him. This is powerful, you guys. It's how we as Christians navigate in this world. We love people every chance we get, even when they hate us. It's so hard. Lord, help me. I need help. Help me, Lord. They drove him. Galileo took no notice. Galileo took no notice. But here's what's up. Here's what's cool. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1, I want to point this out. Sosthenes would have been a fairly common name, okay? But I'm thinking... It's the same person. Paul, first Corinth. Hey, remember this was, they were in Corinth. Paul's now writing back to Corinth. Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God. And guess who's with him? Sosthenes. Isn't that cool? Is it the same one? I'm going to go with it. You guys decide what you want. It's a way cooler story if it really is him. <laughs> but I want you to be blown away by God's faithfulness, specifically to his people, the Jews, how he loves them and cares for them. He wants them to know Jesus. But I want you to be blown away by just the faithfulness of loving people, not pointing back, aha, you got your back beat. You deserve it, Sosthenes. Paul's like, yeah, that's right. No, no, man, they loved him. How did he come to know Jesus? They ministered to him. Remember, they they lived right by each other. They were loving him. They were caring for him. They were giving him a care package, you know? Here's some aloe, you know, Sosthenes, like from your neighbors. <laughs> we care for you. And they're just loving him. Like, that's what we get to do, guys. I hope that it moves, like, Spirit, compel us to do this work, you know? Compel us. Okay, what, Chase, give me that one, just one real fast song. I promise you, I'll be done. Children's ministry is dying right now, but okay. Just come up here real fast. <clears throat> I was thinking, you know, he, he's saying, the Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Let's just sing that one more time and just let that be a prayer. Uh, melt me, mold me, fill me, and then what? Use me. Right? As we see here that God would move in us. Hey, listen, I'm preaching to myself. Like I struggle with this, you guys. I can walk as a coward way too often. I just want to be real with you. But I know this for a fact. I will never regret obedience. Ever. You guys will never regret obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ and leading of a spirit. You'll never regret it. Ever.
So hold fast to that. Lord Jesus, have your way. We want to worship you and follow you. We want to live a life of surrender and yieldedness to you. And even as we sing this song, Lord, let it be a prayer. Pray in Jesus' name, amen.